on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. The majority of the world wants jobs with good companies. Don't match ta talent to titles, match talent to tasks. So our job isn't to do the work ultimately, is to be the creator of jobs for people who are looking for good jobs. Yeah. Potential talent is in the right scenario. How will this person perform? Of course you wanna know that. The question is, how do you get it? I'm a big fan of masterminding. I, I'm in a group with other entrepreneurs and I love learning the stories of their challenges and struggles and their wins. Reciprocity is what brings that amazing progress for a business. What's up everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast, coming back to you here today with what might be a household name in your guys's world. <laughs> he may not think so, but I've got Mike <laughs> McCallowitz here on the King stage. Mr. Profit First, keynote speaker, author of all kinds of other books, which we're going to get into in one of your books here today, All In, that's recently released. Mike, thanks for being here on the stage. Chaz, thank you so much for having me. The, uh, the opportunity to have you here, we don't take it lightly, so thank you for that, but I'm going <laughs> to jump right in. You just... Uh, well, actually, I don't know your exact release date. When did you release this new book, All In? It came out. So we're recording today. What is on the 8th? It came out on the 2nd of January, so six days ago. Six days ago. I have crammed as much of the book into <laughs> my brain as I possibly could, and I've got some questions for you. So I'm going to just get right rolling to it. Before I do the book piece, though, I want to give you the opportunity just to tell us about All In, about Profit First, just who Mike... Well, you don't even you don't even say your last name because you you had this funny thing on your website about how people can't pronounce it. It's pronounced Mike Michalowicz. Well, usually. Click again for some, let's say, alternative pronunciations. Beer lovers call him Mike Michelobin Schmitz. Farmers call him Mike Michal has tits. River dancers call him Mike Mike clogging and splits. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, you checked that out. Yeah, exactly. Who is Mike Michalowicz? Give us just thirty seconds so people know who they listen to, just in case they don't know you. Yeah, nerd. That's who Mike Michalowicz is. Just a nerd. Um, <laughs> And yeah, my last name is so hard to pronounce. I, we just make fun of it. Yeah, I love it. Um, so entrepreneur my whole life. Uh, not ever intended to be, but couldn't get a job out of college, became an entrepreneur. Um, I built and sold some companies in the tech space. Uh, one was actually sold, I sold to a Fortune 500. I think the interesting part of my story though is I thought then I'm, I'm clearly a genius. I'm building and selling companies. I lost everything um, just out of arrogance and ignorance. What I started doing, Chaz, was writing why am I failing? And what, what do I understand about entrepreneurship? I thought I knew everything. I realized I know very little and I still know very little, but I am desperately seeking to learn as much as I can about all aspects of entrepreneurship just to improve my own game. And um, it started becoming books. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm writing stuff that I think maybe I could share with other people. So when I discover something that works in my own businesses and I test it with others and it works consistently, I'm like, this has to become a book. That's how Profit First came about. That's how all my books came about. And that's how All In came about. I, th I think it's a way to help other entrepreneurs make the journey a little easier because yeah. it ain't easy. It ain't freaking easy, yeah. but maybe a little bit easier. Would you say that the listener here today is maybe hasn't built and sold companies, but they still have experiences that they should be sharing maybe locally or even with their team? Oh my God. Yeah. Like uh, there, there's value in, in everyone's journey. I believe, uh, I, I see life as kind of a infinity symbol, you know, a figure eight on the side. And I think we're all somewhere on there. We're on the exact same path. Like it's literally the exact same path. We're just in different parts of our journey. And I think we all have significant value to add. I, I, I'm a big fan of masterminding. I, I'm in a group with other entrepreneurs and I love learning the stories of their challenges and struggles and their wins. Maybe it was on finding that perfect candidate that I couldn't find, or maybe it was 
going through a lawsuit or something, um, those are just as valuable, if not more, than someone who sold their business or something. Yeah. So uh, whatever you've experienced, there's extraordinary value there. And it's not just for supporting others. It's your own journey. You're, every challenge you have is a learned opportunity. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, Gavin the King started off as a mastermind before the podcast even came about. And so that experience that you're talking about of just what we have find, just genuine owners who want to come to the table, kind of take off the crown is what we say. And they're just sharing. I I was doing events a couple years ago and it's like, they didn't really want necessarily, I mean, of course, speakers are great. You know, the names are great. They wanted just to be with each other and share. It's powerful. Yeah. Well, because we're kind of weirdos, Jazz. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't think we were, but we are. I um I ran um some stats and I found that only 17% of the population will ever operate or own a business. 17%. But here's the crazy one. Only 20% will do it on a sustainable basis. So after five years in business, only about 20% of those 17% will be sustaining, making enough income to support employment of others. That's 3%. 3%, 2517 of the population runs a healthy, sustainable business. That's the weirdos. The majority of the world wants jobs with good companies. So our job isn't to do the work. Ultimately, it's to be the creator of jobs for people who are looking for good jobs. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was actually a line from your book is that our job is to create jobs. Create jobs. Yeah, love that. Uh, Multiple of my companies use Profit First. So thank you for that. Just from over here to the side saying thanks. I appreciate you. But let's jump in here because you've already kind of introduced this idea of the mastermind. Um, But you talk about it in your book as the idea of building community first or building community over culture. So let's let's just present this. What is community to you versus culture is a buzzword? buzzword. Let's let's jump right in. Yeah, it's a big buzzword. And I, I was a big buyer into it. So what culture was typically defined is what are the set of established values you have, often called core values or immutable laws, these 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 ways you see the world. And when you hire people to bring in people that share common values. But what I realized is it causes the siloing effect. We start hearing the yes ands. We start getting clones of ourselves. The strongest communities, and I'm not just saying in business, but in the world, are ones that are diverse because it brings in different perspectives. The blinders are removed. In my own business, I remember, uh, I'll never forget this, this was about two years ago, we had a retreat and there's about 20 of us together and uh, we were talking about the values I had. And I said, one of the big values, and it's kind of funny, is no dicks allowed. And uh, what I mean by this is I don't think life, uh, there's enough time in life to deal with dicks, to deal with people who are rude, but also for me to be a dick, that's not permittable. And I shared this with my team, and I remember one of my colleagues, Kelsey, looks at me and says, gosh, that's so bro-y, Mike. Um, that's not who we are. Perhaps that's who you are. She goes, I understand what you're saying, but that's not the way I want to phrase it. Um, we are going to be the Ted Lasso of companies. We want to be the eternal optimist and supporting people because we do believe in every individual and every team. And it became the be the Ted Lasso. It was this collective philosophy. So to bring about culture we actually have to evaluate our existing community and encourage diversity and then understand what our collective essence is. And that becomes our values, not the leader's values thrust upon others. Yeah, you, you phrased it like this in the book. You said culture is I am, so we are. And community yeah. is we are, so we are. Exactly. That's the difference. Okay. And so as someone's listening here today and they're thinking about making their first couple of hires or maybe their 200th hire, how, how yeah. are they thinking through the lens of community versus 
what they probably already have, if they're a larger company, culture, uh, you know, identified with core values and all the things that you just said were good, but like maybe not community. Or the other guy's like, I've never even thought about core values. I'm just making my first or second hire. How are they thinking community? Yeah. Well, values emanate from experience. So the challenge would be to say, I want someone with different perspectives from their values. Like, you know, we believe X, so we want someone else that believes Y so we can find common ground. That'd be nice, but that's not really doable. But diverse background and experiences is what brings around different values. So instead of saying, I want someone with the exact same background as we have now filling this role, I want someone with a different background filling this role. And you actually strengthen the way that role serves because now you have someone with a different perspective. So that's how I do it. Look for diverse background of experiences. And I'm not saying work experiences. I'm saying life experiences. Yeah, and I want to get to that in the hiring process here in a second because you identify that as well earlier in the book. But we've done this with Gathering the Kings from a mastermind perspective. And it sounds like maybe you're the group that you're part of as well. It's like where you can have a, an HVAC group or you can have an author group, I'm sure. But if you can get collectively around other entrepreneurs from other industries, different ages, different types of businesses, different parts of the country, you have perspective, which is really true agitation of thought. And it goes back to the actual definition of what a mastermind probably is from Napoleon Hill. Is that kind of how you're thinking this? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Um, there's an echo chamber effect when I'm in an author. I do have an author group. And it's funny, It's there's only three ways to market your books when you're in this author group. The second I'm in a group with an HVAC guy, and ironically, I'm in a group with an HVAC and an electrician. He does a suite of home services and others. The ways to market my book business now is a plethora of things. It's hundreds of ideas. So that, and, and I know other people listening in have experienced this. When you, when you find clones of yourself, you hear clones of what you're thinking. And that's, that's the blinders on. Yeah. Okay. So it, going back to the hiring process, you kind of just described looking for different experiences. You, you kind of talk about yeah. in your book, the difference between experience and intangibles as we're going through the hiring process and bringing on new, new members. I'm going to get to your A, B, and C format here in a second, because that's just gold. Sure. But the, the intangibles versus experience. Most of the times you said we're looking for people with experience. We were using it just a second ago as a lens of getting other around other entrepreneurs. We're switching over now to the lens of hiring people and you're yeah. disseminating experience versus intangibles. Give us a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, were talking about the diversity of life experiences before, but there's also work experience. And the belief is that our work in the past is indicative of our work in the future. And there's some value to that. But you've probably experienced that where you hire someone on their resume, past work experience, and then they actually do their work and you're like, not even close. So that is not a good hiring mechanism yet. That's what most businesses rely on. There's a second thing to look at and it is the intangibles. I call them innate talent. In innate talent, there's tools like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram, there's, there's countless ones out there that are really good at showing the behavioral wiring. But what I explore in this book is a talent that's the most important and is the least looked at, and it's called potential talent. Potential talent is in the right scenario, how will this person perform? Of course you wanna know that, the question is how do you get it? What you do is you run workshops. There is a half trillion, it's over $500 billion in revenue industry that does not do interviews. Uh, they don't focus too much on the Enneagram. What they focus in is on workshops, it's the sports industry. And uh, I, I played sports in high school, I played lacrosse, I'll never forget, I went to a camp in Hobart. It's a New York lacrosse college. It's known for that, along with 300 other students. I was learning new skills there. And as I was playing, so were these other athletes. And some of them were tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, you're demonstrating skills that would be really good and can be exploited. Why don't you go to this other field so we can elevate those and help you even more? 
I didn't realize not only were they helping them, they were also vetting out some athletes. They picked two or three kids to play at Hobart, invited them in. I didn't, but I did play collegiate lacrosse. And the reason I did in part is because the skills I learned. What's interesting in our business is we can run these workshops, these camps to train people, elevate their skills. They may even pay to come to these workshops and then cherry pick the best. I'll just give one real practical example. Home Depot does this workshop where you build birdhouses. I'm sure you've seen them, you know, come to Home Depot and build a birdhouse. What they're doing is they're using it as a recruiting ground. They're teaching parents, people to build birdhouses and hopefully you'll be ingratiated at the store and you'll buy more from them. But they're also observing who participates the most, who is the, uh, the most eager to learn more. They tap them on the shoulder and say, if you're considered working at Home Depot, we're looking for people like you. We need to do the same thing. Instead of just doing traditional interviews, what can you teach for what you're looking to hire for? Make that a workshop. And then the people who show the most desire and thirst are the ones you actually want to hire. You use the word thirst a couple different times in the book, which I absolutely love. But you say basically the maximized potential is thirst. And so That's describe right. thirst to us and how does that equate to maximized potential? Potential reveals itself in the same three stages always. Curiosity, then desire, then thirst. So, you know, there may be an opportunity. Someone's like, hey, Chaz, Mike, you guys want to go skydiving? We both may say, yeah, okay. Curiosity. That's the first level of potential. We may be great skydivers. Then we show up and I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. I'm out. I'm indicating I don't have any further potential. But you may say, I want to do this again. That's an indicator of desire. Desire to repeat. Thirst is where it becomes part of your identity. Like, I got to do this. This is who I am. What we're looking through for in these workshops, when we invite people to learn, to experience something new, who are the people that elevate from curiosity to desire and ultimately thirst? It'll demonstrate itself pretty early. Those are the people you should consider as potential candidates. Yeah. What about the team who already exists, right? If I'm thinking through this lens of you know, curiosity, desire, and thirst, if I'm looking at my current team, how do I kind of overlay this to determine whether maybe I don't have the right people or, or maybe pick out the ones that are really thirsty? Yeah, that's great. What you do is instead of using titles to match people's talents to, like I need a receptionist and a receptionist has to answer the phone, greet walk-ins back in the day at least, uh, enter data, you know, whatever the list is. What we do is we match talent to tasks. So we break all these titles into tasks and say, oh, so-and-so is really good at the data management. Yeah, he's sitting at the front desk but is not a sociable person, doesn't make a first great impression, is kind of meh, but my gosh, that number, they're, they're a number cruncher. So when you break talent to task, you start realizing you have extraordinary people in your organization, they're just matched up with the wrong titles. What happens is that we break down that pyramid structure, CEO at the top, and then you know this, the leadership team and everything below. What happens is that pyramid becomes a web-like structure where former receptionist dude is now doing a little data entry, is also doing data analytics in a different department, maybe crunching numbers in the sales department. And this web-like structure ends up being much stronger. So the lesson is, again, don't match ta talent to titles, match talent to tasks. Yeah, love that. And so in your task, maybe identification, you kind of give this ability of like rather than, or maybe mindset, is rather than looking for a top performer or a high performer, you have this almost deconstruction, you call it, of take this high performer and de deconstruct it down into tasks. Does that help us do what you just said here as far as like taking talent and matching it to a, to a task? Yeah, exactly does. And, and, I, and I encourage anyone listening in, if you're a micro enterprise, if it's just you and, and whatever, 
um, start off with yourself. And, and if you got a dozen people, still start off with yourself and write down all the things that you do. And what you'll find is you may not be falling within a silo as much as leaning toward things that you like to do, where you can express better capability and so forth. Then, and here's the key, once you write down all the tasks, go through that and ask yourself, can I find other individuals just to do one part of it? This is the fractionalization process. I think the mistake many entrepreneurs make is, you know, I gotta find a clone of me. If I can just find another me, but another you is doing what you do. They have their own company. You know, they're doing their own thing. You're a one of one. Like we're not gonna be able to clone you, but we can fractionalize you. The second thing is once you break yourself out, this is the biggest challenge. Ask yourself of all these tasks, which one is the easiest for me to do and I enjoy doing the most. That will be your default task. I revert to it. That is the, actually the first task you want to delegate. And that sounds absurd because you're good at it and it's easy and you enjoy it. The reason is a business owner's job is not to do the job. It's to be a creator of jobs. So you have to learn the discipline of delegating. And if we give something away that we enjoy doing, it's going to be easier to give away the rest. Also, because it's easy and you're good at it, it's going to be the easiest to train someone else on. And let's see them excel. Most people say, delegate the hard stuff, the stuff you hate to do. That's not the starting point. That's maybe the second or third thing to do. Hey, kings and queens, Jazz Wolf. I want to talk to you about something that's super important to me. We put a lot of time and effort, we meaning myself and my team, into this podcast, into the content that goes out every single day. And if you have been getting any sort of value or insight from this, we want it to be able to reach other business owners too. So we would love if you would like, comment, share, leave a review, post, share again, <laughs> all of the things on social media, on all the different platforms, or even on the podcast mediums of Apple and Spotify. We would love to be able to get our content into more hands, more entrepreneurs, so they can grow their business as quick as possible. Together, we are building a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who are committed to growing their businesses to new heights. So let's do this. Let's help each other. Let's help each other grow. I love the um, agitation there because you're right. It's the opposite of what many people say. And, and it, probably because it's harder. Um, I can only imagine, you know, having 20 years of sales experience and that being the first thing I handed off in my first business. It's like, ah. Yeah, I, you know. I know. Now the key is there is also the easiest thing. Yeah. So there's some complex things. Like I wouldn't say to like a heart surgeon, like you love doing heart surgery. You're great at it. You'll do it all day long. Let's get rid of the heart surgery. Yeah. No, I, I think that there's some things that are very technical and require a lot of skill. So the other question has, it has to be easy. Maybe it's the prep of the, the scalpel and cleaning the, the, the surgery tools. Maybe that doctor really enjoys that. Let's get that off the plate because it's easy, replicatable, but you enjoy it. We got to start breaking from doing what we naturally love to do because it's just fun and learning the power of delegation. Yeah. I think that your very simple process here of just writing it down is like, well, yeah, that's so, so easy. It's just nobody yeah. has done it or, or does it. And then more so you can do it for your team. Once you already have a team, you can break yeah. their stuff down. It gives you shockingly a lot of clarity. Yeah. Like, you know, I think, well, I'm an owner of a business. I just need another person to act like an owner. No, no, that's horrible because it's so ambiguous. Once I started writing down all the things I did, oh, it was very clear. For one of the things I did, which I enjoyed to do, and it's quote unquote easy, was my own scheduling. And I had a, a defense mechanism for say, saying why I need to always do my own scheduling because it's so dynamic. Like by any minute, things can change. Let me do it. But it also took up a lot of time. So that's one of the first things I delegated. And it was terrifying. I have no control over my own schedule. And it's weird. Like literally, and it, it's bizarre, but my wife's like, hey, can we do date night next week on Thursday? And I'm like, we got to ask Aaron. Uh, I don't know. 
And so you, I sound a little bit like a heel, but I've learned that discipline of, of delegating that full responsibility and it's freed me up to do other things uh, to impact my business in a positive way. Sounds like it goes both ways too. Aaron would need to communicate with your wife on the personal. And she does. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. Like I, my wife and I were sitting on the couch watching Ted Lasso. My wife uh, texts Aaron and says, hey, is Mike available? Yeah. <laughs> to go for date night on Thursday. And Aaron's like, yeah, yeah, he can. Yeah, that's, I, I love every part about that. And if the listener is confused by that, um, it, it changes the game. All right, we've got a few minutes left here and I got to jump into your ABC format. You learned this from a co-founder of the Container Store, it sounds like. A, a equals 3B, B equals 3C, which means A equals 9C. Give us give us some some download here. Yeah, it was something that was fascinating. Uh, he was talking about the Container Store and uh, we had lunch together. And he was explaining how uh, talented they are. What's so interesting is if you ever have an opportunity to visit a, a container store, you should do it. They sell, obviously, containers, um, which is the most boring subject. And Walmart sells them too, and so do other big box stores. But the engagement of the employees is off the chart at a container store. And at Walmart, good luck finding an employee who's engaged. My God, that's a double good luck. Well, how does the container store who's selling the exact same things find such qualified candidate. He says, well, we hire A players. Well, and I, I want to give a little asterisk. Everyone is an A player. What they did was they said, what is the talent that we're looking for? Well, we need someone that's exuberant, that engages with the audience. Who are the type of people that may be excited about engaging with an audience? Actors, he said. So what we do is we reach out to people that are working off Broadway or whatever, aspiring to be actors and say, listen, you can demonstrate your skills and play different characters here that are engaging. Um, who wants to socialize? Because that's a big part of the container store, that social rapport. People who are retired, um, you want to re-enter the workforce and socialize. And I said, this is the opportunity. What they made clear was that the job was a uh, source or a means to achieve an end, to be a great actor, to re-socialize with the community or whatever. And these people are A players as a result because they can see a clear ending. What was also fascinating was Kip shared the, the cost. He said, you know, I play my employees, this is back in the day, $15 an hour where Walmart's maybe paying $10 an hour. So it's a substantial difference, 50% more. And I said, how can you afford that? Because 15 versus 10, it's, it's nearly half more of the cost. Yeah. He says, well, Walmart needs to hire three B players because people who are not engaged, who don't care, who see the job as just a source of income, don't care so much. It takes three of them to perform one level where someone sees this as part of their identity. So three times 10 is 30, where he's paying 15 an hour. He's like, I'm winning financially. I do want to share, and this is a big asterisk and it's important. Everyone is an A player. And that may sound bizarre, but everyone has A player potential in them if they're matched up with the right role and it speaks to their identity. I am not saying that our businesses has a role for everybody. Right. That's not the case. I'm saying that everyone is an A player, and if we meet someone who's not a fit or we can't serve them to serve their identity through our organization, as a leader of our small company, we simply give them direction and say, hey, you need to head somewhere else so you can really express yourself fully. Yeah. You also said that A players are made by A leaders. Yes. So th there's a great book on this called Turn the Ship Around by Captain David Marquette. And um, what's fascinating is here's the lowest performing ship was a submarine in the Navy, the lowest of hundreds and hundreds of, of ships. And all they did was change one person, the leader. And within a year became the number one performing ship in the entire Navy. Now, 
everyone else was considered C players and B players on the ship, and all of a sudden they became A players. Well, what happened was the leader simply started to embrace them. They took on what's called psychological ownership. They started to express themselves. They saw that this was a pathway to achieve their greater accomplishments they want to achieve in their life. They saw the job as part of their identity, not as a job that they must do. And, uh, well, it speaks for itself. You're spot on because there's lots of examples there of how someone can be switched out, a team. In fact, you could go into more detail in the book as far as just two teams. One was winning, one was the absolute bottom, and then literally just switches the, the leadership. Oh, yeah, that, that was in Extreme Ownership. Yep. I love that book. It's a must-read. And what was interesting, that was the Navy SEALs. Um, it just happens these both are in the military, but I've seen it in all different forms of business. And it was literally, they were, they were taking boats. They raced down to the, on the, across the beach to the ocean front. They go around a buoy and back. And this one team was dominating. They sw- and there was one team that was consistently losing and they switched the leaders and the teams, not right away, but within two or three cycles, yeah. the team that was the worst team became the best team. What they found is that when there's a leader, they bring about a swing state. Uh, there's a brand new movie out there called The Boys in the Boat. It's about the swing state. How do you get the collective psychology where there's collective ownership over an outcome? They call it collective psychological ownership. And where you would, when a leader achieves that, the team as a whole is more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, love that. Uh, as some parting thoughts here, you describe a joy formula or a success uh, kind of formula that's attached to joy. Um, give us, give us what the formula is and how did, how can we, cause joy sounds, uh, flowery or like maybe something I can't, it does, it does, to, it does. you know, but we all talk about it. We talk about joy and fulfillment. The, the story came from the most like non-flowery dude I know. His name is Patty Cohen. And I was talking with Patty. Um, it was bad circumstances. A, a mutual friend of ours, uh, spouse passed away and Patty gave me a ride back to the airport. He runs a, a $50 million company, you know, wildly successful. Uh, restoring basements and making them into fam caves and man caves and so forth. And uh, what he said was one day he went to his team and said, we want to achieve $55 million in revenue. Good job last year. I want you $55 million. His sales manager, the person responsible for sales came up and said, Patty, it's always good. We did a good job and now we have to do better. What if we just cared about how happy people are? And it hit Patty like a ton, ton of bricks. Every one of us has an individual version of ourselves or vision, I should say, for ourselves that we want to achieve that gives us joy. The goal of the leader, Patty explained, is to find what people want to achieve individually and make sure that their work is an expression and opportunity to achieve that individual goal. Maybe someone wants to buy a house or someone wants to learn to play guitar or learn a new language, whatever it may be, we we get joy out of moving toward goals we want to accomplish. And when that happens, reciprocity kicks in and we want to be of greater service to the company because the company's helping us achieve, achieve our own joy. Yeah, yeah. You have, you say that uh, basically it's an experience of success and well-being together. You also throw in there That's a little right. caveat of of a, like a multiplication times purpose. So you kind of wrap that all end up in your answer there of like purpose, well-being, basically is what they want, and we're helping them go after it. Do you want to add anything on the purpose side? Yeah, yeah. That's the real formula. But the one part I want to add is reciprocity, kind of the equal sign. The more we contribute to the happiness and joy of our colleagues, the more we want to give joy and happiness to our leader. Um, I remember my own business setting a goal for our company, but when I set the understanding I had, when I focused on the individual accomplishments of my team and not in their job, but in their job serving their lives, like what they want to achieve in their lives, they started to focus more on the goal that I'd set 
as a leader for the organization. So reciprocity is what brings that amazing progress for a business when you care for your colleagues. You're an incredible mind. Book is, I mean, I just, just downloading. I'm gonna have to probably read it two or three times, but tell us where can we find the book? Where can we find you? Because you offer all kinds of services and coaching and all uh, opportunities for entrepreneurs to to connect with you. What's that look like? Yeah, wherever you buy books, if you like Amazon, great. I'd love for you to get it there, but where your local bookstore has it too, support them if that's what you feel called to do. I'd love that. Um, If you want to learn more about me, you can go to MikeMotorbike.com. The reason I use that nickname, no one can pronounce McCallowitz. It's a doozy. But at MikeMotorbike.com, you'll get all in is there. You can get free chapter downloads. All my other books are there. I just write for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, You can get all that, those articles I wrote from them for free, um, all at MikeMotorbike.com. It's been an incredible time here with you today. Uh, You have been nothing but a blessing. So Mike, thank you for being here uh, on the King stage, and we will be talking to you soon. Chaz, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight, and nine-figure business owners, is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.